This week on Kettle of Fish, author Tyler James stops by to talk about villains, contradictions, and oxymorons. Welcome to our author show. We call Kettle of Fish the No Politics Master Show. It's time for Kettle of Fish. No debate, hate, or argument allowed on Kettle of Fish. It's like a Willy Wonka psychedelic acid trip. So hooray for Kettle of Fish. Alrighty, welcome to Kettle of Fish, the show after the show, the talk after the talk, the 20-minute comic book money shot. After the two hours of political foreplay, I am Nick the Saucy One Capsaurus. You know me from many different platforms. Um, D, Fern, Fern, you're still with us. D, yeah. are you guys ready to get fishy? We well, are. Love, is, that, is that bubble bubble? <laughs> And I know Fern's not a big comic book person, so I guess you'll just be kind of hanging out and hearing what's going on. But yeah. i got to tell you, man, I've been collecting comics since I was 10 years old. I've got about 8,000 comics. Um, I've gotten a little bit disappointed of the Marvel product over the years. And I would say if I've got eight, 9,000 comics, at least six or 7,000 are Marvel but um, I, I, you know, I'm down to only collecting four or five titles a, a month now, and I had last—I think it was last May—we took the kids to Free Comic Book Day, and honestly, it's more for them than me because I could just go buy whatever I want when I want to get a comic book. And I, I, know, I, up, I love it, man. Yeah, you know, every year it's, it's tradition. But the Marvel ones oh. are kind of crap because they'll give you like six pages yeah. of preview of something and then a bunch of ads. And um, a lot yeah. of them are geared towards children, like Superhero Squad stuff. But I picked up this book called Oxymoron, and I was like, wow. Like, I was really blown away. Like, it's the first time I had legitimate excitement for a book in a long time. And then when we went on the road over this summer, we actually – I did a, a thing for Nerdist Comic Book Club. I went up there, and they gave me, like, three or four comic books. And they're like, hey, read these, and we're going to talk about them on the show. And they asked me how I liked them, and I was just kind of like, eh. Like, it didn't really, like, get my pulse going. I was just like, eh. You know, it's just kind of blah. And um, But I picked up this Oxymoron book. I think we were in a comic book shop in Maryland, maybe, in Baltimore. And I picked up the hardcover. And I was just blown away. And as I kind of went in deeper, and the new um, The Loveliest Nightmare came out, and I started reading that, I was like, dude, I've got to reach out to Tyler James and get him on the show. Because after checking out his site and checking out his books, he's really doing something innovative. Like, I feel like he's moving it up to the next level and taking things to the next level. So that's why I wanted to have him on today to talk to him. So with no further ado, because he's been on hold for about 10 minutes, Tyler James, how you doing? Hey, thanks for having me on the show. No doubt, no doubt. Um, Like I was saying in the opening there, you guys over at Comic Tribe... And I, you could set it up a little bit. Um, I've got your mission statement here, and I'll just read the one line that your mission statement is simple. Creators helping creators make better comic books. And when you dig into this site and see all the information and how inclu- like all mass inclusive, how interactive it is, you guys are do- only been around a, sh- a few short years. You're doing something that I don't see any other comic book groups doing, right? Well, you know, we're, we're trying. Um, it's, it's crazy. We're coming up on the end of actually our fifth year. I launched Comics Tribe with uh, co-founder and editor-in-chief Stephen Forbes in uh, on the first day of January 2011. And uh, jump forward, now we're closing out uh, 2015, and, and we've come a long way. <laughs> and 
when we started, the, the whole goal and the impetus of Comics Tribe was that, you know, Stephen and myself are creators, you know, first and last, but we also sort of come from uh, with the heart of a teacher and love sh- sort of sharing what we're learning and, and the journey and, and all that along the way. And so we came together with the goal to make Comics Tribe a, a great resource for creators sort of and support them along the way on their journey. Now, as it happens, <laughs> and whether, you know, a coincidence or because of some of the just goodwill that we built up by doing that, um, we attracted more and more creators to us, and our books uh, continue to, um, you know, pick up steam to the point where in 2012 we got a distribution deal with Diamond, and that let us start getting into comic shops worldwide. And, and like you said, getting to take part in things like the free comic book day program, which gets, you know, 30,000, 40,000, 50,000 copies just distributed all around the world, which is actually super incredible. Um, and then, you know, and from there we, we've just continued to, to build and uh, Oxymoron, the loveliest nightmare is our latest series to uh, get out there into the world and, it's been uh, one of our, our best received critically and, and one of our best sellers oh, so far. And definitely. So, yeah, we're, uh, well, we're really excited about it. When McFarland started his own group and he started Image, I felt like he was a trailblazer and took it to the next level. And then after a while, Image kind of got squishy and fell into that regular comic book formula with a lot of their books. Is this something that you're cognitive of, of, hey, we want to keep it fresh? Because right now I feel like you guys are, bam, right on the forefront. You guys are razor-edge sharp. Do you guys worry about getting comfortable and just say, hey, we've arrived, so now we kind of fall into that pocket? (laughs) Uh, You know, our books are still fighting for a position on the bottom of the sales chart, so there's no getting comfortable (laughs) just yet. Right, Um, right. and, 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 you know, when McFarlane started his thing the the difference between uh us and them is when, when he started he started and grabbed four of the top selling comic book creators in the world and guys who and multiple guys who are coming off million copy selling books as opposed to us who you know we've really had to build this thing from scratch um but you know we're a small bandwidth operation we're and a lot of this year has been me putting systems in place uh, so that we can hopefully expand and have the next five years. You know, I set a goal that in the, we're going to move a million comic books in the next three years uh, in nice. terms of total, total copies sold. Um, and, you know, but that's that's no small feat for a uh, bootstrapped young publisher and, and um, folks that are just sort of building uh, readers and fans one one reader at a time, one retailer at a time, one one podcast at a time. So... Uh, but but it's it's been great and it's the kind of thing. I mean, I do the, the comics tribe name is by intention and it's kind of what we're about. So it's really a comics is a relationship game, and so I'm continuing to work with uh, the same group of creators and, and gradually expanding the tribe and bringing in uh, new folks to work with and sort of trying to develop that talent. Um, and you know, we're, we're on Monday we're announcing our very uh, next series, which is coming out uh, in, in uh, April, and it's something totally new for, uh, for us, but uh, hopefully keeping the, uh, the quality at the same level. Hey, I'm curious, uh, was it Third Eye Comics in, in uh, the Maryland area that you picked up the uh, Oxymoron book from? I think it first? was. Yeah. yeah. Was I, it I think that's where we were, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Before, I believe we did so much traveling over the summer. It's kind of a big blur to me. But I do think it was in Baltimore somewhere that I did pick that up. And like yeah, I said, when I well, read it, I was floored, and I was in a situation where I was like, wow, I haven't read something that actually excited me in a long time. And that's why I wanted to have you on. And, you know, as, I'm, as I dug into the history and saw how new you guys are, just to kind of shift gears here, when you put a, when you put a new endeavor together like this, is it hard to say, I'm going to go out and make characters, and are you like, oh, I'm so afraid I'm going to kind of repeat or be similar to these other characters? Or is it, I'm just going to write the way I write, and if they happen to be a little bit like this guy or that guy, that's okay, because I'm telling a story from a new perspective. You know, it's it's the, a challenge, right? Um, on the one hand, those of us that are getting into comics are, by and large, super comic fans, lifelong comic fans, people that, like yourself, have the the, the multi long boxes that make moving <laughs> make you can make you can yeah. uh, ever moving <laughs> because you have yeah. so many uh, comics. Um, and and so you know we have this sort of shared history and knowledge verse and 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 you know want to be a part of that and we come to it sort of with a, a preconceived notion of what comics is and so you know just about everybody who, who tries to make that transition from creator to uh, or from from reader to creator you know they they want to tell their Batman story or they want to tell their Superman story or they want to tell uh, whatever it is, whatever it was that got them super excited about uh, comics. Um, but at the same time, the reality of the market is, you know, Marvel and DC, they, they have that thing sewn up, right? Um, and so, and it's really, you know, like if your goal is to Batman someday or write Spider-Man someday, probably the worst thing that you could do is try to write a Spider-Man or a Batman uh, carbon copy as opposed right, right. to just doing something different and, and, and finding something else out of it. Um, at the same time, though, when you actually try to get out there in the world, whether you're at conventions or you're talking to people or you're pitching retailers or you're pitching uh, you know, people to try to get interested in your books, the, the challenge is you know, if everybody says they want something new and they're tired of, of this and, ti- and, and why can't there be any new ideas, et cetera, but you look at what actually sells and what, people, what consumers actually go and buy, and, you know, you're talking a, a seventh Fast and the Furious uh, movie or you're talking Civil yeah. War II or Secret Wars, the, you know, the, the, the reboot, et cetera. And, and it's sort of like, you know, people want something that they know uh, and, that, but, and yet that is also fresh. And so a lot of what one – of one of the things that uh, with Comics Tribe books and, and a hallmark of our books, you know, there's not one sort of thread or one – shared universe that we're really driving towards. Um, the only real shared thread of our books is that I think we do a good job at, at coming up with sort of high concepts or genres that have a big audience, and then we sort of have our own special sauce and twist and, and unique take on it that um, people haven't seen before. So um, in the case of Oxymoron, as you said, like the, the – the convention pitch, the thing that gets people's eyes to perk up and gets them to at least take a take a look at the book, is by saying, "Hey, imagine the Joker came to a Gotham City and there was no Batman to stop him." You tell that to somebody walking by, and everybody everybody yeah. immediately gets the concept of that of that, uh, and, and and with the visuals that are Alex Cormack, who's just a killer artist, you know that draws them in. 
and then you know one, so, so that that gives us our our uh, couple seconds for them to get start flipping through the book or to, or to give the first couple pages a read and then that's when we try to get them and, and show them hey there's actually a real story and a real heart and we're talking about some deep heavy themes <laughs> and we're, we're we're you know there's a lot of meat there in addition to the sort of glossy high concept well, you know, after reading Red Ten, it became apparent to me, and maybe I'm incorrect about this, but it seemed to me like these characters were made just to be off, you know, spoiler alert, by oxymoron. Is it that to make the characters less important if you're just making them for the sole purpose of getting offed by another character? <laughs> yeah, so the Red Ten series is sort of like uh, if you imagine the Justice League meets Clue, right? Uh, we're, right, we're right. Off, and, and so... Yes, like in that series, each character, like, like I, I tell the reader up front, every character in this book is going to die, and one character is going to die in each issue. That's, that's, that's not the thing. The question is, you know, how, how are they going to go, and what's the skeleton in their closet that they're ultimately being punished for? Yeah, and how does um, the riddle apply to them? Which riddle verse applies to who? Right, right. So there's a lot of, a lot of hooks that, that can sort of attract and pull people in, but... Honestly, the the impetus for the Red Sin story in the in the first place was me just getting sort of tired at Marvel and DC, where every time they needed a, a sales boost, they kill off a beloved character. And I, you know, I joked one day, you know, they should just announce new new color for policy. Somebody, some character that you love is going to die in every issue <laughs> from wide right. wide, right? Yes. And and then of course that got me thinking, well, how would I actually do that? <laughs> And how would I make it interesting? And uh, you know, and and so often, as often happens, you know, a lark turns into a ten issue maxi series that I've been working on for five years. But through <laughs> so, that creative process, are you kind of like, I'm not going to overthink these characters because they're just going to get whacked off by oxymoron anyways? Or do you still feel a kind of affection for them even as you're making them to die? Well, so. What I really, what I really wanted to do, you know, knowing the characters, um, had like, like, so that it's sort of a, a rare case where this is the Red Ten is very much a plot-driven story. Um, right. You've got the sort of high-concept-driven story, um, but what I wanted to do, and, and what was fun about that series, is that I could sort of tap in to the that sort of shared knowledge base that all lifelong comic fans have where they come into it, where, you know, the Superman guy is like this and the, the, uh, the speedster has these traits, et cetera. And, and so, you know, we, we could come in there and then now find ways to sort of subvert them. Right. And so we sort of had the, the speedster uh, and I sort of had the, had the you know, I, I tried to come up with interesting takes that I hadn't really thought about or, or I'd never seen before in comics uh, that sort of are, are there and potentially obvious or, or, or under, the, under the surface when you dig a little bit deeper. Um, and, and so, so yeah, so I, that's where I had fun with it, is, is sort of coming up with uh, characters that on the surface seem like they're just your run-of-the-mill, earthsats versions of characters you know and love. And then if, we, if you sort of peel under the hood a little bit, you realize that, the speedster get it has like has like a serious drug addiction to runner's high and yeah uh, you know and going all all throughout just trying to that was a, that was a fun uh, just a fun challenge for myself and working with uh, 
co-creator uh, Cesar Feliciano on that. It was just you know that that was where the fun was. But but so there and then also like there are subtle sort of digs at the mainstream comic book <laughs> publishers uh, built into the subtext of the series that will become more apparent uh, even throughout and especially as the thing <laughs> wraps up. But uh, but it's also it can be read just on the level of a, as a fun murder mystery. Well, what's unusual, I think, is that the staple character right now, the Superman or Spider-Man to Marvel, Superman to DC right now is Oxymoron, and he's very much a psychopathic villain. Like, he's not even an anti-hero like Spawn. He is a straight-up villain. How is it having your main character be a villain? It's got to be, one, it's got to be a lot more funner to write, and there has to be a lot more dimension to him, but it is kind of odd that your staple character is a villain, right? I think a little bit. Um, you know, it's 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 one of the it's a bit oxymoronic, I, I guess. Um, although, you know, there are plenty of stories about uh, heroes out there. So, giving some giving a, a, a villain some love is is always fun. Um, for the loveliest nightmare series, though, you know, we really wanted to strip away and 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 make it a clean onboarding experience for people that have never read the Red Ten. If you read the Red Ten um, and, and and like it. You know, there's some Easter eggs and some things like that, but Oxymoron is a different field of a book. It's really the the loveliest nightmare is a yes, procedural yes. sort of in the vein of Seven or Hannibal, that sort of thing. And we really want we wanted to strip away all the superhero trappings and and just make it a a, a visceral story about a a cop versus a kill an insane killer and sort of a you know where where the oxymoron is is the most is is sort of the the most uh, uh, crazy thing in the world, but it's a very much a, a real sort of black... Uh, and you can't put a beat on it. Wheeled. Right? I mean, right. you can't put a beat on this guy. Does he have mystical powers? Does he have any kind of mutant or superpowers? Or is he working on such a genius level that he can think ten steps ahead of everybody? I mean, that's kind of the point of the book, right? Is not to give away too much in the beginning? Yeah, I mean, the first issue... Uh, we treated the first issue of the series sort of like Jaws, right? <laughs> Where... Uh, he, uh, it's almost like the, the less you see him, the scarier it is. And, and when he actually does show up, and uh, and so that's a, a bit how we how we approached it. Um, but for the for the loveliest nightmare, uh, the, the hero is definitely uh, is definitely Mary Clark. And um, and I think one of the things that uh, was important to John Lee's, who the story with me, and you know we we worked very hard on it. You know we we wanted this to be a thing where you know you would want to keep reading her story even if the oxymoron wasn't in it afterwards. And so that was part of, part of the goal or, or part of the challenge that we set out for ourselves just to, to make, you know, make this a world that you cared about uh, even, you know, even beyond the sort of shtick of the uh, killer obsessed with contradiction. Well, and that is definitely true, and I feel like the book had a lot of political overtones to it, especially the scene where the mayor is shot up in the um, – it made a very strong statement where the mayor is shot up in the movie theater. Are you purposely trying to make a political point in the book, or are you just writing a story and your own political slants are just coming out in it? Or is there a conscious effort to do that? Well, you know, it's hard not to have one thing – bleed into the other you know this is like we're not coming at this with a a huge agenda but we do if a book doesn't make you think that uh, a little bit yeah i mean and and i love i love mindless uh 
entertainment as much as the next person. And and I'm fine if you come in this and just are just reading it for the for the other stuff. But it's very hard to take serious political, uh, you know, like you know, like shortly after that the, the recent shooting and it was bad timing. Um, this script was written, you know a year before um the most recent sort of theater shootings that were uh are right. now no longer no longer remembered <laughs> because there's been so many other shootings uh, between then and now but immediately after that you had leading candidates get up there and say you know there should have if there were more guns in that theater it would have went a whole a whole other way and this was sort of like yeah it w- yeah it might have uh but not uh not the way that I think they would back so um, so yeah, I mean, do you get a pushback from that? Do you get people say, "Oh, I can't believe this bullshit um, point you're trying to make," or are people just taking it for face value? You know, we did. We really didn't get much blowback, even though you know I put out a word, uh, I put out an announcement, sort of letting people know that you know there's a potential sort of trigger. I mean, it's a bad pun, but a trigger warning for that because the 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 shootings were so recent and. Um, and John Lee's also put out a um, put out a word uh, and a note that's you know really interesting to read because John's coming at this from a different perspective. John is from Scotland, and wow. uh, about ten fifteen years ago, there was a horrific school shooting in Scotland, and within a year, guns were completely banned in his nation, and there hasn't been a, a mass shooting like that since. There just hasn't been. And so he he looks at the stuff that uh, and, and America's sort of love affair and clinging to the belief systems that the Second Amendment is unassailable, which is an oxymoron right there because it's an amendment, right? Right, um, right, yeah. But, but, you know, so so he, he thinks we're crazy. And, you know, I, I, I just, after, you know, after Newtown and seeing that, literally nothing was was done or, or and and no serious even like studies can be done by law to uh try to address these issues um whether it's a b or c uh in terms of of uh it's it's just like we we are admitting that it's that, that this level of loss is acceptable and yeah i make that point all that, the time and that was something that, um, you know, I wanted to put into this book and I wanted to, you know, explore. And, uh, I mean, Alex Cormick did a tremendous job on that scene in the second issue. I don't know if you noticed, like, you, you know, artists, it, 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 it's, it's one of the things about being a comic book writer is, you know, usually it takes the same amount of words <laughs> to write a simple page to draw or a very difficult page to draw. <laughs> and, uh, and that was a page where we're like, okay, uh, let's try to squeeze 12 panels and then, and then a big panel. And, and Alex just, like, went through and he's like, all right, I'll put 20 panels in, the, in this page. But the uh, the guy that was getting shot up, uh, the, his entire hand was blown apart except for his middle finger. So that's a little Easter egg that Alex did. Ah, I did not catch that. Nice. <laughs> and everybody else. Yeah, go back and take a look at it. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, I mean, there's Easter eggs abound in uh, – in Alex's work, he's he's tremendous. 
All right, well, we've got a couple minutes left. I want to touch on something real quick because I was reading Epic, and I tried to read. I read the Emily books, too, and I'm trying to read everything on Comic Tribe. And i got to say, this art in Epic, I hope I'm not butchering his name, Fico Osio. Is that how you say his name, Fico Osio? Yeah, uh, I think it's – you know what? I've, I've never actually spoken to Fico. That's, this is the world we live in. Uh, so I'm not sure – I pronounce it Fico. I've never actually spoken to him to hear it, the exact pronunciation, but uh, yeah, uh, yeah, it's like, oh, he's phenomenal, right? The, the art in that book, it looks like it should be hanging in a freaking museum or something. I mean, I've never seen art that detailed and that bold and jumping out at you. As I, I mean, the story is awesome as well, but the art in that epic book is epic, you know, just to use the phrase. That is unbelievable to me. Yeah, FICO is a tremendous tremendous talent and also one of the one of the issues uh, because he is so good and because uh y- you know some folks at idw got a hold of epic and shortly after that uh he got a, a huge uh skylanders gig so that's wow. part of the reason why we haven't had uh more epics uh come out after issue three is that fico is so busy uh on these massive uh monthly uh skylanders projects and he's doing absolutely awesome work on that so um but you know he sent me the he sent me a a picture of of uh epic the, the other day saying he misses this guy and he and hopes to get back to it uh uh eventually so so yeah i mean that's sort of the reality of the indie work is that um you know you're a victim because sometimes you can be a victim of your own success and your own talent uh but I, I completely wish the guy well, and that he's you know one of one of the best guys out there in comics that isn't a household name yet. Nice. As um, a kind of a side note on this, is it hard to go from oxymoron and Red Ten and the vibe of those books, and to go into something that I consider to be a little bit more lighthearted? That's an epic. I mean, that seems it almost seems like it's written <laughs> by two different people because it's such a departure from the oxymoron books. Is that hard to shift gears like that? You know, it's 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 a palate palate cleanser, right? It's like having the, the wasabi after uh, <laughs> eating your uh, your meals to clear to clear things out and clear you out. Um, you know, I I suffer from genre ADD a bit, um, and you know, and, and and so I I haven't uh, really just honed in and and tried to own one little uh, speck of the comic world. Um, my next book with Joe Mulvey is called Counter Terror, and it's uh, a paranormal thriller with a political wow. event that uh, sort of like uh, the high concept of that is uh, what if Jack Bauer was a Ghostbuster? And, oh, uh, and, yeah. Like so, so, so that's a, that's a total, and and that's like it's it's got some serious political like like overtones, and yet it's also sort of early '90s bombastic, just big big ass guns blowing up ghosts. And uh, wow, you know all all sorts of over the top stuff. So, yeah, I I like to bounce around um, and and try to do some different stuff, and and I'm sure I will continue to do that. Um, But uh, yeah, it's but I I, there have been days where I'd write, you know, uh, uh, or work on a just an absolutely gutting scene, and then realize I'm jumping in and making poop jokes. Yeah, <laughs> that's like just that, astounding but... to me that you can shift like that. Um, we got a couple seconds left. Let me get Dee and Fern in here real quick because, like I said, Dee reads a lot of um, Hack Slash, and she's not the comic book collector I am. She likes Witch Doctor and a yeah. couple other titles, yeah. but she's very, very particular in what she reads, and she latched on to Oxymoron. 
immediately. Um, Dee, do you have anything you want to say to Tyler or any commentary you want to make on it? Coming from I someone who's can't not. I wait to read more. Um, yeah, no, I, I cannot wait, wait to read more. I love, absolutely love the character and everything he is. I mean, he's just, he's very authentic and he's very, you know, this is my rule and I stick to it no matter what and I don't care if you don't like it and, you know, that's just the way it is. And I love that about that character because so many of them, they'll be like, oh, well, you know, in this issue they're going to be one way and about ten issues later they might, you know, kind of flip on a subject and, you know, like the Flash has been 500 different people and, you know, Batman's had all this crazy shit happen to him, you know, and that's great. But it's not supposed to be a soap opera. You know, it, it's it's a pure story, and I, that's what I just love, love about Oxymoron and everything that I've seen him in. Um, but yeah, keep it up, man. Keep it up. It's, it's well, Like Nick well, said, so I'm, I'm very particular. I, um, You know, Batman's great. Spider-Man's great. They're, they're all great. But at the end of the day, they've all been done. They've all been done a million times. So to have something entirely different, um, that still reminds you of some of your favorites. It's just Let awesome. me ask Tyler this it. real quick, too, because this just came across my brainstem here. Is it a bit, as a creator, is it a bigger win for you to hear a guy who reads everything he can get his hand on have such an affection for your work, or is it a bigger win to have somebody that's so particular they barely read anything be such a fan of your work? Which one touches you more? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know... Uh, it's it's uh, every reader counts, right? And uh, at at our level, just trying to build a build a a brand and build a business and build a fan base. Um, you know, obviously we we love it when people that aren't just diehard comic fans that read <laughs> that read everything and uh, can grab grab this. And because sometimes I I know that changes what people think about what comics are. Some people still think comics is entirely boom pow bam and and not um and and is a is a genre instead of a medium um so that's great to hear but then at the same time you know i i, I love it when to, to hear people that hey i've been reading comics for x number of years and this you know and, and I, I i expect a certain thing from an indie comic and then i opened it up and you just blew my freaking socks off and and you know indie comics are not supposed to be this good or or why haven't i heard of you guys before like yeah. Those also, def- definitely make us feel good. Um, if any of your listeners want to grab a free copy of the first issue of Oxymoron: The Loveliest Nightmare, we just actually made a digital copy of that available for everybody in advance of the trade. So, uh, comicstribe.com forward slash tln will uh, get you a free copy. Uh, that's c o m i x tribe.com forward slash tln, and uh, nice. you just go there. You can download a free copy to find out what we're talking about if you haven't uh, read this. The whole series is available on Comixology as well. And we have um, a, a, we got a bit of a palate cleanser coming up in uh, 2016, which is the second Oxymoron anthology, which is like wow. uh, Oxymoron Killing Time. He, uh, it's a, a, uh, i got about 13 different creators all doing Oxymoron stories where he's going throughout time and space to sort of uh, wrong the rights of history. And wow. Yeah, <laughs> so that, that, that's going to be fun. With that many creators, yeah, do, do you ever have a standard where it's like, okay, you cannot do this to, the, to this character, or is it pretty much anything goes? Or is there a line you can cross where it's like, you can't do this? <laughs> you know, when I first 
for the first oxymoron anthology that came out in the uh, in early 2013, my pitch to creators uh, was, okay, D- you guys are up and comers, uh, but DC hasn't isn't calling to you and, and telling you to uh, write them a Joker story. So I want you to write me an oxymoron story that's uh, you know that that DC editorial would never have the balls to publish, but. Uh, so, so, you know, I, I do stand in as editor and I sort of guide things and make sure that the, that voice and um, and just certain decisions are, are in line. But um, a lot of it is just about these guys going nuts and, and bringing their talent to the table. And that shows um, through. Okay, let me do this last thing. Fern, you're not a comic book collector. I don't know if you've ever even read a comic book. You're hearing us all geek yeah. out about these characters. You have no frame of reference. Um, what do you think about what you're hearing? And to Tyler, what would you tell someone like Fern, who is 30-some years old and never even picked up a comic book? Um, You know, it's really cool to hear the intricacies, the ins and outs in the background. And, you know, the thing I really appreciate is I'm, you know, I used to be an avid reader. I have four kids now, so finding time to shower sometimes is difficult, much much less read a book. But the the amazing thing is to to open up a comic book. I, I am not a big comic book reader, but I have seen them, and just to see the art and the storyline all combined. I mean, this is coming from somebody who can't draw a circle, but I do like to write, right. and I can appreciate the blend of of the arts, and I think it's it's really cool. Um, you know, and I just really appreciate kind of getting, you know, the background on a lot of this stuff because it kind of gives me even more of an appreciation. So I just want to thank you for that. I think that's, you know, it's great that you can open my eyes a little bit to, to you know, all the intricacies. It's pretty cool. <laughs> and Tyler, how do you get Fern to go pick up um, an oxymoron comic or any comic for that matter when she's 30-some years old and has never really had an interest in it? What would you tell her? Well, I mean, I guess I'd say, you know, if, if you'd like a, if you'd like to go in a time machine at all, you should go into your local comic book shop, not to go in the past, but to go in the future. Because if you want to know where pop culture is going to be five years from now, it's in a comic shop today, right? Yeah, yeah. Very cool. So many of the books there uh, that are on the shelves that are being critically acclaimed are, you know, going to be eventually TV shows and movies. And if you look at what's dominating uh, TV and the box office today, a lot of that stuff has been in comic book shops uh, for, uh, for years and in, in years in the past. So uh, if you have any interest at all in <laughs> a glimpse into the future of, of what's going to be the next big thing, you're going to find it in the local comic shop. Cool. Very nice. All right, well, in there, Tyler, I want to thank you so much, not for just calling in, but when, like I said in the opening, for making me excited to read a book again. I haven't been this excited in quite a while, and I'm go, I'm digging through Comic Tribes, and I'm loving everything I'm seeing. On your way out the door, tell everybody where they can find you, and once again, what you're working on next. Yeah, you can find me uh, on Twitter, is where I spend a lot of time, uh, at Tyler James Comic. You can also go to comicstribe.com, which is uh, our sort of home base. And, yeah, we've got uh, a lot of stuff coming up. Uh, the Oxymoron Loveliest Nightmare Trade is coming out in January. Uh, the fourth issue of Exit Generation, which is our sort of sci-fi punk rock series, uh, wraps up later this month. And we're announcing on Monday, but I guess I'll just announce it here, a new book called Chum, which is a miniseries by Ryan K. Lindsay, and Sammy Cavella, and it's sort of like uh, it's a surf noir title, sort of like Pulp Fiction on a beach, 
with a uh, love triangle that goes horribly, horribly wrong, and the only people that get what they want in the end is the Sharks. Very nice. All righty, sir. Thank you very much. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Definitely check out Comic Tribes if you have any interest in reading anything. If you like anything in reality or pop culture, go check it out. Um, Geez, I don't have anything to end with. What song do you want to end with? I'll just end with our usual song. All right, Tyler, thank you very much. Thank you, Fern, for calling in. And we will see you guys in two weeks on our end-of-the-year show. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye.